Well, as we noted last week, the Apostle Paul delivers the bad news before sharing the good news in the book of Romans. He wants to make certain everyone knows they're lost before he tells them how to be saved. He wants them to understand how and why the wrath of God was revealed from heaven before his love was revealed in Bethlehem. If we were to continue our study of Romans today, we would be looking at the wrath of God. But this is obviously the Sunday before Christmas. And those who looked ahead and saw where I would be today expressed great relief when I announced that I would be preaching a Christmas sermon instead. And as we will note over the next few weeks, Paul does a masterful job of taking us from the bad news to the good news. And as we noted three weeks ago, his letter to the Romans is the clearest and most complete presentation of the gospel to be found anywhere. The theological understanding he gives us concerning the need for a Savior and how faith in Him can save us from the wrath of God is extremely important. It's even life-changing. But so is the story itself. The story of His coming to earth. And that's why we venture back to Bethlehem every Christmas. And no one takes us there better than Paul's physician. So this morning, we're going to look once again at the good news as presented in Luke chapter 2. Now, I did refer to this as the story of his coming, but I need to make something clear. I'm not suggesting this is a fable or a myth or a made-up story. The story of Jesus' birth is a historical narrative, the record of historical facts. God really did come to earth in the form of a baby boy. And he did so in a real place, at a real time in history, and in a way that could be witnessed by real people. How grateful we are to Dr. Luke for recording the details of that event for us. Details that he may very well have gotten firsthand from Jesus' own mother. So this morning, let's look once again at what he has to say about the birth of Jesus, the story behind the good news that Paul will explain to us. We begin with a look at the events that led up to Jesus being delivered in a stable. Luke chapter 2. Now it came about in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all were proceeding to register for the census, everyone to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, 
because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. And it came about that while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Luke begins the narrative of Jesus' birth by very carefully dating it according to the contemporary political scene. Instead of just saying, now in the first year of our Lord, Jesus was born, he says the birth of Jesus took place during the first Roman census. He points us to an empire-wide census that was decreed when Caesar Augustus was emperor and Quirinius was governor of Syria. Now, skeptics have challenged Luke's accuracy here because there is no known record of an empire-wide census, especially one that required everyone to return to their ancestral homes. They also like to point out that Quirinius was governor of Syria from 6 to 9 A.D., several years after the birth of Jesus. But as has happened time after time, archaeological findings have helped confirm the accuracy of the Bible. An actual document has been found ordering everyone in Egypt to return to their ancestral home for a Roman census. And it has been discovered that while Quirinius did serve a term as governor of Syria from 6 to 9 A.D., he also served an earlier term during the first decade B.C. So not for lack of trying, no one has been able to prove Luke wrong. The historical challenges of the skeptics are almost always based on the fact that they can find no corroborating records in secular history. But as time marches on, those records have a way of popping up and the skeptics end up with egg on their faces. I think it's safe to assume that Luke was a historian of first rank who carefully and accurately documented the truth that the Holy Spirit inspired for him to record for us. And after documenting that time frame, he said, And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. Now, why Mary who was nearly nine months pregnant, accompanied Joseph on the 80-mile journey to Bethlehem, we can only surmise. The census most likely required only the men to return to their ancestral homes. It could be that Joseph took Mary because he knew she would be the object of scorn in their hometown if she gave birth only six months after the wedding day, and they were no doubt married by this time. Luke uses the term engaged to simply indicate that their marriage had not been consummated. That would not take place until after the birth of Jesus, as Matthew makes very clear. 
So Joseph may have just wanted to spare Mary the humiliation that was bound to be hers if she stayed in Nazareth. Or it's possible that they knew of Micah's prophecy that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, the city in which David had been born some thousand years earlier. If they did know the prophecy, they were no doubt puzzled by the fact that they lived in Nazareth. But that puzzle was solved when they heard that Joseph had to travel to Bethlehem to be taxed on their due date. I'm sure they marveled how God was using a pagan emperor, one who thought of himself as a god, to fulfill a prophecy concerning the coming of the one true God to earth. No doubt they were excited as they packed and headed for Bethlehem. But I imagine they wondered where Jesus would be born in a strange town far away from family and friends. And their faith in God's providence was probably tested when they got to town and found no vacancy signs everywhere. They needed a room. Mary was about to deliver. But since there was no room in the inn, they stayed in the only place available, a place where animals were kept. Now, we're not sure what kind of facility it was. Some have suggested it was an open courtyard. Others, a stable or barn next to the inn. Most evidence points to a cave that was used as a stable. In fact, in 150 A.D., Justin Martyr wrote that Jesus was actually born in a cave. And in 330, Constantine's mother built a church over the cave where it was thought the Savior had been born. But whatever it was, I'm certain it wasn't what Mary and Joseph had expected. But Jesus was born. And like other babies of the time, he was wrapped up like a burrito. Instead of being placed in a crib, however, he was laid in the closest thing they had to a crib, a manger, a feeding trough. The creator of the universe had allowed himself to be stripped of his glory and had come to earth as a helpless baby. And he had come in the humblest of fashion. Born to a young couple staying in a barn in a strange town with no family, no friends, no one around to celebrate the most wonderful birth of all time. But surely the birth of Jesus, the good news, wouldn't go unnoticed. No, indeed, for it was proclaimed by angels. And in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. The angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths 
and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. The greatest event of all time almost went unnoticed by the world. But the angels couldn't keep quiet, and neither could God. Can't you picture God in heaven saying, that's me down there, and nobody knows I've come. I've got to tell someone, but, but who? No, God did not want the birth of the Messiah to be publicly announced, to declared in a spectacular fashion of glory and lights. He wasn't to enter the world with an overwhelming display of power and glory that would force everyone to recognize his lordship. He could have, but it would have destroyed a relationship built on faith. So who could he tell? Well, there were some shepherds outside Bethlehem watching over flocks that no doubt produced lambs for the temple sacrifices. That would be perfect. God would allow the shepherds who tended the temple lambs to privately be told of the birth of the true Lamb of God, the only one who could actually take away sin. So God let an angel appear to the shepherds and proclaim the birth of his son. No doubt they were scared to death. But they were told there was no need for fear. The angel had appeared to bring good news, not bad. A Savior, who is Christ the Lord, had just been born. And it was their privilege to be the first to know of it. One day, this news would be for all people. For now, they were the only ones, other than the earthly parents of Jesus, to know it. They were then told how to identify the infant Christ and where to look. They wouldn't find him in a golden cradle, clothed in the finest silks and brocades, but wrapped in the claws of a peasant, lying in a manger. We can only imagine what was swirling through their heads They didn't have long to contemplate it because suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is well pleased. And that is a better translation than the commonly quoted King James Version and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. The angelic host was not proclaiming that peace and goodwill had come to all men. But that peace, real peace, would now be possible on earth. God was breaking down the wall of sin that separated him from mankind, making possible a way for man to come back into fellowship with his creator. And those who would accept his gift would find his favor and have peace, eternal peace. With that, the angels left 
Now it was up to the shepherds. They had been told of their birth. They had been told the good news. But see what they did with that good news. And it came about when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing which has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came in haste and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. The shepherds weren't content to simply hear about the birth of the Savior. They wanted to see the Savior for themselves. So they searched and found Mary and Joseph and the baby in a manger. Mary and Joseph were no doubt surprised, perhaps even frightened by the motley crew that invaded the barn. But the shepherds told them what they had seen and heard in the field. And not only did they tell it to Mary and Joseph, but to others who had apparently followed them or who had come to see what the excitement was all about. We know others were there now because Luke speaks of all who heard it. And it certainly sounds like more than just Mary and Joseph. He also notes that they all wondered about the things which were told them by the shepherds. And that seems to indicate that not everyone who heard the report actually believed it. But that may be the way God had planned it. He knew that shepherds would have a low credibility rate. They were known to often confuse mine with thine. But God did not want the news of Christ's birth declared by authorities no one could question. He wanted them to hear and wonder. He wanted them to search it out and see, as the shepherds had done. Now they were certain about what they had heard. There was no doubt in their minds. They knew who it was they were looking at because the angels had told them about him. And Mary knew their testimony was true. Because it was in line with what she and Joseph had also been told by the angel of the Lord. But for others, there was going to be the need to search the scriptures. To discover whether the baby in the manger was a child of promise or not. And that is still true today. Now God doesn't reveal himself with angelic hosts to most people. He did so to some, so they could share their testimony with us. He made sure we had eyewitnesses to historical fact, but he did not want our relationship to him dependent upon continual angelic intervention. 
He wanted us to hear the facts, to be able to read the accounts, and then decide. He wanted us to be able to make an informed, rational decision, but one that was still dependent upon faith in what he had done and recorded in his word. And then he wanted us to express our faith by coming and bowing at the cradle and the cross of the king. So have we done that? Have we done that? Have you done that? Have you personally bowed before the king of kings? There are a lot of voices today talking about Christmas and the coming of Jesus. And it is a life-changing event. If you personally acknowledge who he is and bow before him. Apparently a group had gathered to see Jesus in a manger. Many were puzzled. Some wondered about it. And I imagine some went away thinking, hey, that was pretty interesting. It's always good to see a baby. They felt good about it, but it stopped there. It's my prayer that if you have not committed yourself to that child, you've not personally embraced him as your Savior and your Lord, you'll do that before this season passes. And you get caught up in life, life without him. It's essential that we bow before the king of kings. And then, if we do that, if we respond in faith and obedience to what he told us to do, to acknowledge our faith in him by allowing ourselves to die with him, in a grave of baptism, so we can rise as he rose after his death. Then we can go home glorifying God because we recognize the child in the manger is our Savior. And we've made him the Lord of our life. Oh, come, all ye faithful, Come and behold him. Born is your Savior. Let's celebrate that and let's respond to it this morning.